where specifically we're going to look at today how in the midst of division, isolation, and inequality, God provides us with an antidote for those things. And before we hear from our campus, our campus pastor, Eric Bryant, consider these words from Dr. King. So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. One day, down in Alabama, with its vicious racist, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. Every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. Such a beautiful dream. And it really isn't Dr. King's dream alone. It's really God's dream. He created us that we might experience the fullness of life. And you can't experience the fullness of life unless you have more and more of a glimpse of who God is, creating every single person in his image. And that last verse reminds us that really this dream of being part of community with every size, shape, color, language, and tradition represented is actually just making earth a little bit more as it is in heaven. You know, his dream really wasn't just about 
the end of inequality and injustice or freedom. But it's also really about community. It's about what if we lived in a world where there weren't these barriers that divided us, that we could actually enjoy each other. Now, when I was a kid, I grew up wanting to be like Dr. King and Andy Kaufman. Uh, most of you won't know who that is. He was portrayed in a movie by Jim Carrey, and they actually have the same birthday in common. I, I was born on this day 50 years ago. Yeah, it's hard to imagine. 50. That's a long time. But I grew up with Dr. King's birthday before mine and Andy Kaufman after and I wanted to be some sort of weird combination of the two. I wasn't exactly sure what that would look like. Andy Kaufman was a comedian. I'd get to see little glimpses of him on my parents, one of their favorite shows called Taxi. And I knew of the story of Dr. King just a, a decade before ending in his assassination. And I just wanted to make a difference and make people laugh. And again, wasn't really sure what that would look like. And in my 20s, we moved to, from Seattle to Los Angeles. We grew up in Texas, my wife and I, and we were in Los Angeles for several years, and it was there that I finally figured out what it meant to be this kind of combination of the two. The pastor there, his name's Erwin McManus, asked me to write a book. He said, would you write a book? People keep asking me to write a book on how we created this diverse community, but as a Latino, I don't know if people will listen to me the same way that they might listen to a white guy. Because the people that needed to hear this were people who were like me, who grew up in the South. And so I started working on that book, and it's called Not Like Me. It's about loving people who look differently, believe differently, make different moral choices. And it was in the midst of that process of writing that book that I discovered my voice. See, my calling is to actually be an advocate for those who do not yet believe, to create a space where people who are skeptical, those who have doubts, might experience faith in Jesus. So as I've been reflecting on 50 years, it's, again, so hard to even believe. I actually was born looking exactly like this. Let me show you. I have, a, I have proof here. That's literally me. And uh, I did have hair from like 2 to 26. I have proof of that as well. There it is. It was a very, very blonde hair and when I had it. It was great while it was there. Uh, but it's really fun. My wife threw uh, kind of the interesting kind of a COVID birthday. Maybe you've had a couple of those as well. We had big plans for a party, and we decided not to do that. So instead, she had friends from childhood, from our days in Seattle and Los Angeles over the last 10 years, friends here in Austin, sending emails and videos, and we had a Zoom party yesterday, and it was really fun. And one of the things that was so remarkable is many of these friends or family were sharing stories about like moments in my life with them that I don't remember. Moments where apparently I said something or did something that really made a difference. And it was such a beautiful reminder that you have no idea, you and I have no idea the difference we can make in people's lives when we just do the right thing, no matter how small it might be. The other thing that kind of stuck out was they 
would describe me with these, I guess Deborah had put in her email, you know, describe three words to describe Eric. And what, what was interesting in those words uh, that kept coming up, one of them was humility, which is a really funny thing to start talking about, that I'm so humble. But, but I will tell you, the reason it's even more hilarious is this was a struggle in my late teens and coming to faith and in my early 20s. Every day I would pray for humility and for boldness. And I, I can tell you, left to my own devices, I can be a real selfish jerk. And the fact that people see something besides that is just a beautiful reminder of the power of God at work. They also talked about faithfulness and presence and just being a phone call away and all those things I've learned from Jesus. Those are a direct reflection of the man I want to be because of who Jesus has been for me. And someone was even wondering earlier, why would you like celebrate your birthday at church, at work, right? Why would you even be here today? Why aren't you gone? He's on a trip. Honestly, I don't think I'd want to be anywhere else because it's the church that God has used to show me how real he is, that has helped me, refined me, helped me grow to even a semblance of the man I hope to be. And I'm only halfway done. 50 is just halfway point. And I don't even remember the first 10 years, really. So I'm just 40 years into this. But I just want to encourage you, if you're younger than me, and you're kind of making your way in life, I want you to know, if you just do the right thing, no matter how small it is, you will find your purpose. You will discover a life so meaningful. The other thing that was so interesting, you know, there's been some highs and lows in my life, just like in anyone else's, but when you're reflecting, it's amazing. People I had conflict with and things we went through, it's almost like all that dissipates and all you remember is just the best moments. All the things we worry about now will, won't even be a memory in the very near future. And so if you're younger than me, I want you to know that, and that's probably most of you, you've you can just trust God and just do that next right thing right in front of you, and you will experience an amazing life. And if you're my age or a little bit older, we're just getting started. There's still room for us to grow. But I wanted to share a passage of Scripture with you that it's actually the verse of the day. If you have the Bible app, it's called Version. It's the verse of the day. It's a great verse to have on your birthday. But I wanted you to hear it as what is true about you how God sees you. It's from Psalm 139. It says this about you. The psalmist is writing about himself. He says, for God, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Think about that for a moment. God created you, knit you together in your mother's womb. He thinks about you. 
Every day, he's aware of you. And he created you on purpose and for a purpose. In fact, the scriptures also tell us that he put us at at the exact time in history and place on this planet that gives us the best opportunity to know him. His invitation is to have a relationship with him. We're in this series, as John mentioned, called Take As Much As You Need. Our hope is that in 2022, you're not just working on doing something and it's a new habit that you may quit in a couple weeks, but that instead of becoming a, a, a better human doing, that you become more of the human being that he's created you to be, that you're more aware of who you are. And if you've started a relationship with God, you'll discover that you have so much more than what you realize, that he has blessed you with joy and peace and love and community in ways that we fail to take advantage of. Our hope is in this new year, you experience the fullness of all that God has for you. It's like going to an amusement park. I grew up in Dallas, Fort Worth. Any of you been to Six Flags, either there in Dallas or San Antonio? I guess it's not as popular as it used to be. When I was a kid, we'd go to Six Flags all the time. That was the place to go. Some of you have been there. It's got the roller coasters. And it would be like if you went to Six Flags and you thought of it like the State Fair. You know the difference between Six Flags and the State Fair? State Fair, you have to buy tickets to ride the rides. But at Six Flags, You just pay the ticket, you get in, and you get to ride everything for free. See, some of us are living life as if we're at the state fair, as if we have to work to get joy, as if we we have to work, we have to pay the cost to get a little more peace when it's included in the price of admission. You have access to all that God wants you to experience. The key is surrendering and letting him Bring that into your life. It's a great quote I saw this week, Dr. Keen Lee. She writes, the meaning of community is complex. And unfortunately, insufficient understanding of what a community is and its role in the lives of people in diverse societies has led to the downfall of many well-intended community efforts. Community is not a place. It's not a building or an organization, nor it is an exchange, nor is it an exchange of information over the internet. Community is both a feeling and a set of relationships among people. People form and maintain communities to meet common needs. So we all need a feeling of community and relationships within that community. I love being part of Gateway in South Austin. These last 10 years, you have been that for me and my family. And I love talking to you about your group or your network or the the. the the ministry in which you serve, about how proud you might be of what you're experiencing, about how you might be growing. It's just amazing to see. And you know, last year, we survived the ice apocalypse. Remember that? Did any of you start to have PTSD when it got cold the other night? Oh, I did. I was like starting to fill up the tub, you know, like just get ready. It's coming. And here's the amazing thing to me. In the midst of that, Some of us live here in Austin, and we have no extended family, and you took care of each other. Some of you had people from your small group living in your house for days. 
These might be people you only saw on Zoom for a year. All of a sudden, they're living with you, sharing a bathroom. Some of you didn't know who to call, and you called that person that you served with on Sundays with the kids because you needed a place to stay. You needed a place to warm up. But it wasn't just us taking care of each other. There were neighbors. There were coworkers. There were friends. It was amazing to see how you served each other. So this last summer, we did an event we called The Church Has Left the Building. It was on July 4th. We didn't have services. Instead, we wanted to encourage everybody to spend time with neighbors, invite the neighbors to even watch the service with them online. And we didn't have services because we knew you wouldn't come. (laughs) It was July 4th. But you know what? Here's what's beautiful about you is I've seen you be the church outside of this building without even having to have a logo to say it, to do it. See, what's beautiful is you and I can be the hands and feet of Jesus everywhere we go. I've shared this story a lot. It's my birthday, so I'm going to share it again. This woman named McKay comes up to me, and McKay says, you know, I just wish that there was a way that God could give me a hug. She was new in her faith, and she was feeling lonely, struggling through a difficult time. And she said, I just wish that Jesus was right here so he could give me a hug. And I remember thinking, man, this girl needs a hug. And I looked to my left and my right, and I didn't see anyone else that could give her a hug. So I said, well, would you mind if I gave you a hug? So I gave her a hug, and as I hugged her, I had this thought. I said, okay, right after the hug. I didn't talk to her during the hug. That's very awkward. <laughs> but after the hug, I said, McKay, I just had this thought. Do you know the next time you need a hug, find someone else who might need a hug a little bit more. Because you know, every time I've ever needed a hug and hugged someone, they've always hugged me back. Except for my mother-in-law. But other than her, <laughs> and that was just a weird moment. But every time I've ever hugged someone, they've always hugged me back. See, the way that God often demonstrates his love to us is through his people. He takes care of us by prompting someone to give you that phone call you needed. He prompts us to text that person we haven't seen in a while. He prompts us. We have a thought about someone we haven't seen. We have a a dream about someone that God wants us to pray for. God is working in us and working through us in miraculous ways. See, we need to care about community and what it means for us because it means more than we perhaps even realize. Let me give you three ways to kind of make progress in this, to take some community for your life. Number one, be intentional. Intentionality brings formation. There's this beautiful passage of scripture in Acts chapter two, one of my favorite uh, passages in the scripture. Listen to the beautiful way that the early church, those first followers of Jesus were described. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and in sharing and meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved." 
See, think about this. this was, these were the first people on the planet to believe that, that God had come to us, that his name was Jesus, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead. They were proclaiming that a dead man was now alive, and he is our rescuer, our hero. And then they were known for praising God. They would gather together at the temple and, and worship outside on the steps. And it said that people knew them as those who praised God and it says, and they enjoy the goodwill of all these people. I mean, I don't know about you, but in our day and age, I know people who are known for praising God, but they're not the same people who enjoy the favor of other people. But they had such loving, kind, generous spirits that people were like, you know what? They might have some very unusual beliefs, but they sure take care of each other. You know what? I have a cousin, and they took care of my cousin. They took good care of him. You know what? They might be crazy. They believe a dead man is now alive, but they will love you. See, this is not just describing showing up on a Sunday every once in a while. This is describing a, a life, an experience of relationships where people are with you and you're with them. And so what happens in this, we see that there's a constant state of learning. They're sharing life with each other. They're breaking bread together. They're remembering the work of Jesus. They're praying for each other. And the byproduct of this is they saw the miraculous. This week in my men's group, we meet on Zoom. There's some groups that meet in person, some that meet on Zoom. And in my men's group, we were reading a passage similar to this. And one of the guys said, you know what? Why don't we see more miracles like they did in the Bible? And we then started sharing stories about, well, actually, I've seen some pretty miraculous things. And another guy, well, yeah, no, the other day I saw something miraculous. And, and we were sharing these stories of like miraculous, like praying, and then people were no longer needing a cane or praying, and this person was no longer had a tumor. Like we were sharing these kind of amazing stories. And then I pointed out something really important, something I discovered a long time ago. See, physical healing is miraculous, and it still happens. God does the miraculous. But even more miraculous is the spiritual healing that he offers. See, physical healing is temporary. Even Lazarus, Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, and he died a few years later. The most amazing thing is that he changes our heart. He gives us a new heart that lasts for all of eternity. And that the greatest miracle is that selfish people can walk around being kind, being loving. And I pointed out so many of the guys on the call had earlier shared stories of reaching out to a brother who had cut them off, but he was in the hospital and wanting to reconnect. Or reaching out to a sister who had mocked him for his faith, but never giving up. I said, that is the greatest miracle, that you love people who sometimes are hard to love. You've learned to say, I'm sorry. You've learned to say, I forgive you. See, those are the kind of miracles that God wants to do in and through our lives. But we also see they were sharing things. They were meeting the needs of others. They were carrying a heart of worship. They were sharing meals together. God was moving in their hearts so much that people that they loved and cared for were also coming to faith. See, if one of our goals in 2022 is to have a richer and deeper understanding of who God is, it's not just going to come by reading stories about Jesus or showing up every once in a while. It's about being in genuine community. 
It's about having relationships with others who might be a half step ahead of you and helping those who might be a half step behind you in their journey. I want you to think for a moment, who are some of the people who've made an impact in your life spiritually? And who are some of the people that that you've made an impact in theirs? When I was younger, my parents made me go to church and I could not stand it. It made me incredibly upset. And it was just going on Sundays, but we had to go for like Sunday school and church. See, back in our day, it was, it was like three hours of church on a Sunday. And then my dad was like asked to become what we called at this church a deacon. So now all of a sudden I have to start going on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights too. It's like the worst news possible. And I am so grateful that my parents made me have that experience because it was in that context that I actually found a relationship with God. But even before I was, I was taking my relationship with God seriously and growing in that relationship, I had one friend at church. His name is Robert Ward. And Robert was the guy, the one guy that was actually excited to see me there. It was interesting. There wasn't a lot of guys in our youth group. In fact, there was a lot of girls, which you'd think would be great for a young you know, teenager to be excited about, but that's only true if the girls had liked me. <laughs> but Robert was someone I actually really enjoyed and got to know him, and he knew me. And we went on all sorts of trips together, camps together, spending time outside of Sundays. So we each need a, a relationship It's not about just going and checking things off of your spiritual checklist. It's about having real relationship that goes beyond Sundays. So how are you living your life in 2022 in a way that's allowing your life to be impacted by others? How are you living your life that you might make an impact in the lives of others? Well, number two, embracing the other brings growth. During the quarantine, those early days of the pandemic, Two years ago, remember back in the day, you know, when the pandemic began, remember breaking, making a sourdough bread, all that? Well, while you were baking bread and being productive, my family and I started watching lots of movies. And one of those movies we saw along the way was called The Best of Enemies. True story. It was featuring Taraji P. Henson and Sam Rockwell. They were portraying Ann Atwater and C.P. Ellis, two people who should never have been friends. Anne was a civil rights activist, and C.P. was a leader of the Ku Klux Klan there in North Carolina in the early 70s. They had nothing in common, no reason to get along, might even wish harm for the other. But the true story is they actually became friends. They formed a deep friendship that pushed them to grow. And two generations later, I want you to hear what Anne's granddaughter says. Watch this. I mean, I grew up calling him Uncle CP, like he was family. This story doesn't just talk about black and white issues. It talks about being able to come together with differences and getting things done no matter what. And I think that's something that is definitely needed now with everything that's going on. I mean, I... In Acts chapter 9, there's this amazing story of Saul... Saul was actually a very religious person, and so much so, he was a part of this group that 
felt like they needed to purify the land of Israel from all who believed differently from them. And so he was there when a man named Stephen was martyred. He was killed with stones. And as he was being killed, he prayed just like Jesus did on the cross. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That made them even madder and they threw their stones even harder. And Saul was right there watching and was actually inspired by that. This kind of negative peer pressure inspired him to the point where he traveled to arrest people and to even kill people because of their faith in Jesus. And then one day he was on his way to a city called Damascus and he had a vision of Jesus. It blinded him. It scared him. But he knew that Jesus must be the Messiah. He's alive. I just heard his voice. I just saw his his face, this vision of Jesus. And so then Saul has this a miraculous encounter with Jesus, and he's led into this city. And that's where Ananias, a man who followed Jesus, had a calling from the Lord. Listen to this, Acts chapter 9. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Ananias is thinking, "Uh, uh, but Lord, uh, why me? Why did you give him a vision of me? Why not anyone else? I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Ananias thinks God is crazy. Can't you send me on another mission? Anyone but Saul of Tarsus. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. After, he ate some food and regained his strength. Ananias was asked to go and pray for an enemy. See, on the other side of that person that you can't stand, that person you might fear, could be a transformation that will blow your mind. Ananias got to see a blind man regain his sight, a man who was so corrupted by evil and darkness that he was on a mission to kill anyone who believed differently. Now this man encountering Jesus became the greatest church planner the world has ever known. Who is the other for you? The person that you don't think God's love should extend to include Is it someone that might vote differently for you? Someone who has conservative beliefs? Maybe it's someone who has more liberal view? Is it people who look differently? People who come from a different social class? People who have struggles that you don't have? We all have biases. But if we would just each follow what Jesus says, what we call the golden rule, how much better would the world be to treat others as you want to be treated?
to offer kindness when the world offers insults. Number three, doing the work builds strength. One of our leaders who's amazing with her group, just in a moment of transparency, transparency shared, I really didn't want to go to my group this last week. I was tired. It was a crazy week. I had some really good excuses for not going, but I went. And I'm so glad I did because our group time was amazing. It was life-changing for a few ladies in the group. See, how many times is it easier to make an excuse, but on the other side of that excuse, we're missing what God has for us? I know these last two years have been incredibly difficult. For some of us, more than the rest of us could ever imagine. But I want to encourage you. Every season is a chance to start afresh. In my experience here at Gateway, I have had times where we were, I was a part of a small group that was just so meaningful and so beautiful. And then so many would move away or, or move into a new stage of life. And it was almost like we had to restart a, a new group. Or there was a season when I was in recovery. There was a, a season when I was serving in the students. And I found that in life, every year is still kind of like school. You should kind of look at every year in, in like semesters. Every semester is a little different. Who are you connected to this semester? Who are you investing in this semester? Don't let time slip by and suddenly it's been years since you've been connected. See, some of us have served faithfully through this and others of us have gotten disconnected. I want to encourage you, now's a chance to start afresh. It might be a class. We start Financial Peace University today. That's a great class I've been a part of, changed the way we viewed finances. Or maybe it's being a part of a group, a community group, as those get started in this new year. We have Groups for college students and young adults and 35 plus and all ages. Or maybe it's going to an event like the Hearing God Workshop at the end of the month or Awaken, which is every Tuesday night. I want to encourage you to take that next step into community. There's a starting gate is an event you heard John Lee talk about earlier. It's on the first Sunday of February. That's a great next step. Or if you're ready to, to get plugged in, just go to gatewaychurch.com slash south. And I would just for a moment want to talk to you parents. If you have teenagers or children, I want to just encourage you. I, I, I just got the sweetest video message from my daughter. She's in Paris serving for a year. And I, I should tell you, I don't think she'd mind me telling this story, but from 11 to 17, she was not pleasant. <laughs> and there was great moments, don't get me wrong, but, but there was a lot of butting heads. And a lot of it had to do with church, to be honest with you. She didn't want to come on Sundays. Now, I grew up in a family where we were forced to do the right thing, and then eventually we were glad we did it. My wife grew up in a family where they didn't expect anything, and she excelled anyway. In fact, my wife only got in trouble once as a child, once, and she felt so terrible, she never got in trouble ever again. And my wife, for some reason, thought our children would be like her. But alas, they are not. <laughs> they were born a lot like me, selfish and rebellious. And along the way, I'm so glad that I insisted the kids stay connected to youth group. They met 20-year-olds who actually 
loved Jesus and they could listen to. And it was right down the hall in the youth room. My daughter at the age of 17 discovered that Jesus was alive for her. And she wrote me a, a note, a little message, a video message and a, a text saying, you know, I, I think you're probably a good pastor and a good husband and a good friend, but I know you're a great dad. I can tell you, I didn't always feel like a great dad. I wasn't sure if I was even doing it right. There were times where I'd lose my temper, where I'd blow up, where I, I'm sure, made mistakes. But I want to encourage you, it's never too late to do the right thing, no matter how small it is. And just saying you're sorry or saying I've learned something or saying I forgive you so sweet for a 19-year-old to say that to a dad who wasn't sure, you know. You're doing a better job than you think, but let us help you in the journey. In fact, if you have fourth and fifth graders, we have something called Born to Lead. Find Celinda. Get your kids signed up for that. It's going to be a great season. Or join me on Wednesday night while the kids are here in youth group. I'm doing a parent support group for the next couple weeks. We want to help you in the journey. Because following after Jesus and becoming the person you were created to be is too hard to do. It's impossible to do on your own. We need each other. And my certainty is this, that God loves you and he has a purpose for you. And that purpose involves taking a next step, trusting him. Do the next right thing right in front of you, whatever that might be. In fact, I want to invite you to just stand with us. And during the song we're going to sing, I want you to see it as a prayer that it's an invitation. God's invitation to you is that he loves you. It's a grace that is undeserved, that he overwhelms you with. But it's not just an invitation into a relationship with him, but into a community, a kingdom that's turning the world upside down. People who are loved and bring that love to everyone around them. God, I just want to pray for each person in this room that they would discover that fullness of your love, your presence, and your community, that we would be the hands and feet, the hugs that we each need and our city needs. God, Austin is a beautiful city, and it's a hard place to live. And I just pray anyone here who's been lonely, who's been isolated, who's been drifting, that they might see your love for them and your invitation into something so much better but it requires the courage to say yes to that next step. Speak to us, show us that next step, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing the song together.